Section 12 of The Spring Song by Forrest Reed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 12 The Spring Song. I heard among the solitary hills low breathings coming after me and sounds of undistinguishable motion, steps almost as silent as the turf they trod. Wordsworth Piping down the valleys wild, piping songs of pleasant glee, on a cloud I saw a child. Blake Griff was awakened by a din of many voices. He opened his eyes in the sweet colorless light of dawn, and his ears to the loud choristers who sang above him, pouring out a stream of joyous, careless notes, and exalting each one in his own music. He could see some of the singers as they flitted between the branches. He could hear the brushing of their wings. The light grew stronger and more silvery. Pouncer slept on through all the clamor, but Griff rose and stretched himself and climbed out of the hollow. Though his bed had been soft and warm enough, he felt rather stiff and uncomfortable. Below him, about a hundred yards away, lay the river, gray, with a whitish mist above it and beyond the river were fields, looking strangely solitary in the new daylight. Close to him, a large gray hare squatted on his haunches, gazing at him more in surprise than alarm. A squirrel gambled in the branches of a fir tree, and the birds fluttered about him, darting over the grass as if quite heedless of his presence. He somehow felt that it was not yet the human hour. All the creatures seemed to know this and to ignore him. Above the fields, a delicate scarlet flush was rising, staining the sky, spreading rapidly, and always growing brighter. The scarlet faded into a green cloud of light, and streaks of gold fire shot up, like the streaming banners of the approaching sun. To Griff, standing there on the bank above the river, the sound of the tremendous chariot wheels was clearly audible and the beating hoofs of the great flaming horses rushing upward an immense wind and fire in their manes. Before their headlong course, the white mist broke and fled in a host of shadowy phantoms with waving arms and pale, tossing hair. He saw them as a white army retreating in disorder, and the light, dazzling, glorious, flowed on and on, spread abroad, resistless effortless, as an incoming tide. The fields reflected it. The dew on the grass blazed like a carpet of precious gems. It beat downward and upward. The last lingering remnant of the misty host vanished, and Griff stood, a solitary witness of their rout, on the golden threshold of the summer morning. His eyes were filled with a flickering, unearthly beauty. His whole being was possessed by it, as by a soundless, smokeless flame. The birds had ceased to sing. It was the hour of breakfast, and all were busy. But Griff's own voice arose, and he sang the song of the river. The hare had disappeared, and Griff returned to Pouncer. Curiously enough, he had no feeling of loneliness or anxiety. It was a sign, perhaps, of that independence or detachment of which Miss Johnson had warned Aunt Caroline when she had alluded to his habit of picking up with strangers. 
It is true he knew more or less where he was, and he had no doubt but that an hour or two's walking would bring him safely to the glebe, but he was conscious of no particular eagerness to start. The adventure had come to him, and he felt perfectly content to see it out. When he awoke for the second time, it was in the full heat of day. Above him, a dark horse chestnut spread its broad branches like a gigantic umbrella, through which the sun streamed in green bands of fire. The brown soil showed between thin blades of tender green grass. From somewhere behind him came the monotonous crooning of a ring dove. He called to Pouncer and ran down to the river. Morning lay in splendor over the world. The sun was high in the heavens, and the trees threw dark shadows on the mossy ground. On the other side of the river was a sea of waving cornfields. The smoke from a cottage, dark blue, almost purple, drifted lazily against the sky. And in the river itself the sky and the clouds were reflected, and the green banks that stood high above the surface. A waterfowl swam into a leafy clump of willows. The scent of meadowsweet hung drowsily on the air. A wagtail pruned his feathers as he stood perched on an old stump, and a rat, sitting up on his hind legs, nibbled delicately at the stems of the grasses. The banks were gay with flowers and creepers, blue forget-me-nots, white hemlock, the small pink blossom of the gypsy wart, the ruddy heads of docks and sorrels. Griff undressed and bathed, while Pouncer plunged in after him, and boy and dog splashed in the sweet cold water and let it wash away the dust of their journey and all the weariness and trouble of yesterday. They sat on the bank to dry. A sleepy barge passed, gliding through the summer, while the water lapped faintly against its broad bow, and the old brown horse plodded on with lowered head. Then, as he stooped above the river, like a little river god, hugging his knees, Griff saw a dragonfly floating on the surface. Its green and yellow body flashed in the sunlight, but its gauzy wings had become wet and useless, so that it could not rise. He knew it would float there, till a fish or a bird got it, or till it was drowned. He tried to reach it, but it was too far from the bank. There was nothing for it but to go in again. When he had rescued the dragonfly, he put it on a dock leaf in the sun, where its wings would dry quickly. He lay watching it, for it was indeed an extraordinary beast, with great eyes and mouth, and splendid, mailed coat, green and yellow, barred with black lines. It lay still for a while, as if exhausted, but presently its silver transparent wings unfolded, and next moment it had sprung into the air. Griff, watching its brilliant flight, felt inclined to clap his hands. He wondered if it could think, if it knew that it had come safely through a desperate adventure. It would be pleasant to understand the thoughts and language of all these creatures who shared this world, and were really so close to him, in many ways he felt almost closer than human beings. A little lower down, the bank had fallen in, leaving a shallow sandy beach, now dry, for the channel had shrunk after a long spell of rainless weather. Griff, on his hands and knees, began to build a city in the clean yellow sand. He built houses and a church, 
and set a wall all round. But Pouncer, growing wary of inactivity, rushed upon the church and demolished it, sending the glittering sand flying in all directions as he scratched and burrowed. Then Griff lay down on the bank, and wet Pouncer lay beside him, with his big head between his paws, and his round, dark eyes full of gentleness and innocence. The activities of the night had been nothing to Pouncer, but they had left his master not very energetic, and he wanted to lie still for a little before starting on his homeward journey. He was hungry, but the biscuits and cheese had been finished long ago, and there was nothing for it now but to wait in patience. He grew drowsy. Overhead, a lark was singing, singing, and the clear notes floated down in a kind of dreamy rapture. Of all music, Griff felt sure, a lark's song must be the most beautiful. He turned on his side, and the bulldog snuffed at him and licked his forehead once or twice. He was getting sleepier and sleepier, but it was so delicious lying here in this half-dreaming, half-waking state that he could not resist the temptation to remain a little longer. His eyes were nearly closed, like a cat's eyes when it sits in the sun. He seemed to see, through the green dimness of the trees, a whiteness as of someone moving, some bather like himself perhaps, but more probably a fawn or a wood boy. And he knew that it was not really either one or the other, but, like many little boys, he could continue knowing and not knowing at the same time. While the idle dreams that flitted through his mind seemed to be pictures he could watch, pictures he did not try to create, but which came down on the wings of the wind like floating thistle-down. Somewhere among the tall rushes by the water, a flute was being played. It played a strange tune, sad, yet with a certain gaiety singing through it, and with an odd little twirl at the end. The tune was repeated three times, the second time quite close to him, but the third time it seemed to drift farther and farther over the fields till he had to complete the final trill in his imagination. Griff was very happy. Now that the music was ended, he had the clearest sense of its reality. This feeling came upon him in a flash of astonishment, for while he had actually been listening, it had all seemed a part of a dream. Now, it was as if a warm physical touch on his cheek had awakened him. Where had the music gone to? He only knew that it had crossed the river and floated over the fields. Yet, if he had wings or an aeroplane, he was sure he could have followed it. And he was sure it would have led him to some definite place, which he would have recognized at once as the place, the end of his journey, the home of his hidden friend. But nature reminded him that he was getting extremely hungry, and he thought of the house so near, and of all the good things houses contain. He would go and ask for something to eat, and ask them to drive him home. For, more than he felt hungry, he felt suddenly and strangely tired. Once he had hit on this plan, he did not hesitate. His view of the world was socialistic, though perhaps not one which most socialists would have recognized. Where there were houses, there was food, and both food and houses were for everyone. Also, when the houses were large, 
there were usually motor cars, and motor cars, too, were for everyone. His simple philosophy was based on these premises, and he lived according to his philosophy, nor had it ever yet failed him. Therefore, it was without the least sense of doing anything unusual that he rang at the hall door and went in to lunch. End of chapter 12